When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. Today, my guest on Stories Connect People podcast is Steve Bell. He and his wife, Cher, are the owners of Campania Ranch Winery in Sonoma. A must experience, in my opinion, if you're headed out to Sonoma for a wine tour. Even if you're not into wine, you will still enjoy Steve's story about how his passion became his career. We found Steve and Campania Ranch Winery totally by luck. We planned a vacation to Sonoma with our friends in the fall last year. They are as into wine as we are. Our friend Angie gets all the credit for finding a boutique winery that is also a horse farm with a German Shepherd dog. For her, it was the perfect combination and turned out to be one of our favorite experiences during our trip. So much so that we joined the wine club and continue to stock up today. Here, Steve Bell share his story of how a Friday afternoon class in college, a wine class, started his journey to a career and lifetime dedicated to his passion, wine. He also talks about his commitment to creating a warm, welcoming, and non-pretentious experience for everyone that comes to the winery. And that is exactly what we experienced. My husband and I recently did a virtual wine tasting and I asked Steve to be my guest on Stories Connect People podcast. Let's welcome Steve. Hi, Steve. How are you today? Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. Yeah. It's so much fun to see you again. So I told our listeners a little bit in my introduction about you, but I want to hear from you. But first of all, I um, just want to talk a little bit about how we found you. Um, it was such a great experience being there at, at Capania Ranch and... Um, we went. We were on a vacation. Um, we actually stayed in Bodega Bay last year in November mm -hmm. and um, used that as a launching point every day to uh, go to different um, wineries. And we went with our friends, Jason and Angie, and they were just awesome. So you probably remember them. Absolutely. But Angie is like so great at planning trips and doing research. And so she had researched all of these wineries and we were um, hoping to find some great uh, smaller boutique wineries. And um, we found you. I mean, one reason is, you know, we liked the smaller uh, winery, um, but also, you know, she had found that you have a horse farm and, um, and it was such a warm, welcoming experience. And so not only did we fall in love with um, you and Cher, and you could talk a little bit about her, but we fell in love with 
um, the wines as well. And so it was just really a great experience. I thought you would be perfect to share a little as an entrepreneur, as you know, uh, getting into the wine business. I know that you work for a couple of larger wineries in the past, and that helped to build a foundation for you starting your own winery. But why don't you just start by telling us a little about you? Well, let's see, where do I start? <laughs> where are you from? I've been in the wine industry working, starting out with Charles Crew Winery in 1977. Uh, that was Peter Mondavi, Peter Mondavi and his brother Robert Mondavi. They was right after the Judgment of Paris. And so uh, Peter and Robert were going through a big uh, court hassle in the sense that we're trying to divide up the assets of Charles Krug Winery so Robert could go ahead and continue with his um, endeavor with Robert Mondavi Winery. So I was hired in the interim then as they were trying to do this. And that was my very first introduction as a manager, actually an intern working in vineyards. My degree is in viticulture from Chico State University. My first degree is in wow. And I was very lucky to find a job within a month of getting there. It was an amazing time too. That worked for about six months. And then when they settled out their differences, I uh, came to work after on July, uh, January 2nd or 3rd and came to find a pink slip waiting for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, it was the best thing that happened to me because I worked as a welder <laughs> after that uh, at a little tractor place because I, I know how to do mechanics. And then I got hired by Freemark Abbey. And Freemark Abbey in Napa Valley, just in Cialina. Uh, worked there for 12 years, and that was phenomenal. I did. I took care of their vineyards, and basically it was like big name. Well, they they were uh, partnership owned, and it was absolutely a spectacular time to be in there from '78 to 1990, because that was basically watching Napa Valley grow up. It was actually a big learning experience for me. I was starting to make my own wines as a garageista, you know, making it in my own wine. <laughs> Does that mean making it at home? Yeah. <laughs> a garage maker. So I was making, a yeah, okay. and, you know, we'd go out and pick the remnants in the vineyards. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And I was learning, you know, I was getting my degrees not in enology, but I had enough friends who were enologists that I was learning off of them. So I worked there until 1990. And then I took a position with Behringer Vineyards managing their Knights Valley Vineyards, a very, very well-known, prestigious uh, vineyards, about 700 acres in, uh, in what's called Knights Valley, Sonoma County. And I did that for, yeah. I did that for 19 years. Long time. It was great. It was, it, I loved it out there. Just a little hidden hideaway. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Walnut Creek. Parents were not agriculture. I was the only guy that was more agriculture. Um, were, were they into wine at all? Oh, my dad, very, very, very much for it. He was delighted when I started working in the wine industry. Oh, I can imagine if he in was fact, my very wine I, I made for him, and we stored it in his cellar. And uh, it was back in the beginning when uh, French oak barrels were just beginning to be used. And so I couldn't get one, so I got a bourbon barrel and had it clean. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now that's kind of coming back as a way to make wines. Everybody's being, being very avant-garde, making wines in old bourbon barrels for a different flavor. <clears throat> I'm in recruiting, and so I always love to hear about 
of people's kind of career story and where they started out. And so this is just uh, fascinating uh, for me. But one question that I love to ask sure. is, what did you want to do as a kid? Like, what, what did you dream of? I, I dreamed of being a lumberjack outside. Okay. And so that's why I went to school and I majored in forestry. I got my first degree, my AS degree in forestry because I wanted to be outside. Unfortunately, in 1972, when I graduated, the California uh, uh, forestry industry was going some, through some big, um, big problems with special logging. So I realized that uh, that was not going to work for me. So I decided to go back to school, beg my dad to go ahead and support me for a couple more years, which he gave yeah. me an ultimatum, two more years and do it. So I went to school at Chico, and of course, what do they offer on a Friday afternoon is wine appreciation. And so that's how you got into wine? <laughs> I got into wine. It was taught by Dr. Marion Baldy, a very renowned uh, professor at Chico State. And I got the nerve up after school. It fascinated me, and I got the nerve up after school to ask her if I could. She had a little winery at the north end of town called Butte Creek Vineyards. And I... Uh, decided that got the nerve up to go ask her if I could volunteer to work for her just to get up and get some experience. And she said, sure, come on by. They were just finishing crush. That's awesome. It was. She took me on and then asked me if I'd be doing, I uh, could do tastings. For, they did French Columbard, Ruby Cabernet, and Zinfandel. Zinfandel was by far the best. And so I did that for about three months. And then one day she came up and she said, she was a professor at the college in, in uh, genetics. And so she came up and she said, well, what are you going to do with your life? I was a science major at the time, and I just could not see myself in a lab coat all the time. And she says, what are you going to do with your life? I said, hell, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I'm a science major because I don't know what else to do. And she says, have you ever thought about viticulture? And I answered back going, vita what? She goes, <laughs> well, well, you got to tell us, what is viticulture? <laughs> growing grapes. Yeah, growing grapes. She says, you have almost all the sciences set up. You just need to go up there, talk to my husband. He's an ag professor at the college. And so I went, okay, fine. And I talked to him. And two and a half years later, I begged my dad for another half a year. I graduated with my degree, BS in agriculture, and viticulture and pomology. That got me started. A year later, I got a job at Charles Krug, and there I went. So it's amazing what one little teeny twist will do. If I hadn't gotten a nerve up to go and ask her if I could go work for her, I probably wouldn't be here. Who knows what I'd have done. Well, that's a, such a great story, and um, and I want to um, get to you know the um, where we're talking about your winery. But you know, what have you seen over the years in terms of just how the wine business and, and has evolved? Oh, it's evolved greatly. Um, back when I started, there were no distributors. Basically, you know, Southern Wines and Spirits was just starting out. So everybody was done by, you just called up the winery and ordered your wine. And most wineries were on allocations because wines were selling out so fast. And there weren't that many wineries back then. Mm. You know, if I started, when I first started, there was probably 25 or 30 in Napa Valley. Now there's 500 plus. It's evolved. And most of the time when I started, it was just, you know, the Mondavis owned Mondavi. Uh, Martinis owned Martini. So it was all either, you know, small groups of people or... Um, families that owned the wineries that was not corporate like it is now. And, uh, you know, you could walk across the highway in, in, in Napa Valley 
without having to stop. He just walked across because there was no traffic. It was amazing. Yeah, it's changed a lot. Um, I think the judgment of Paris really changed things. It brought Napa Valley into the highlight, you know, in the forefront of, of making wines, even though Sonoma County was very, very much there too, but it just didn't get the notoriety. It's always been like the orange-haired stepsister, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get any respect. John Rodney Dangerfield, you know. <laughs> so now it's, That's uh, funny. it's taken a long time, but now it's gotten really, really, really come up. I think uh, how it's changed, it's, you know, there's so many more people in it. A lot of people have gone, gone in there for the prestige, the money aspect. I mean, Sonoma County versus Napa County grapes, I think uh, Cabernet's. But, uh, you know, average prices for grapes here are about one-third less than Napa Valley. Just because the yeah. quality is the same. But it doesn't have the Napa Valley label on it. So that's really been a big, big difference between Napa and Sonoma. Talk a little bit about when you determined that you were going to go out on your own and what led to that? Well, in, in 2009, when I was working with Behringer, I decided to retire at that point just because I think the timing was right and uh, you know, the wineries were going through that downsize at that point. So it was a good time for me to leave. And I did and that and I started, went into consulting, but that was a difficult time at that point because the, uh, similar to what we went through a month or so ago, all of a sudden economics were not in so far as uh, favorable to people hiring consultants for viticulture. So I um, through my wife, she says, well, you make great wine. I've been making wines for 35, 40 years, and you make great wines. Why don't we start a winery? And, of course, I said, oh, my gosh, i got to put it out in the public and sell it. And so I was very skeptical, but she won. And uh, <laughs> kicked me in the butt. And uh, we started Campana Ranch Winery. Campana, by the way, means Bell, my last name, our last name. I was going to ask you about that. So, yeah, tell us how you came up um, with that and the significance. And the logo, I will share the logo with our listeners. And um, the logo is so unique. Um, so just talk about how you've integrated all of the name and, and just the logo and all of that. Well, the name Campana, when I was in the field, I learned to speak Spanish. And every almost all of my workers, anywhere from 22 to 65 workers that were working underneath me were all Hispanic. So, you know, they kept saying, you know, you know what is your name? Okay, es tu nombre? And I'd say, Esteban, Esteban and Bell. And they go, Bell, B-E-L-L. -L. I said, yeah, okay, Campana. And so instead of saying Bell, which is hard in Spanish because two L's make a ya, and a B, so a Bibella, they just called me, started calling me Senor Campana. And so I kept the name. I liked it. That was my name. They'd go, Senor Campana. I love Campana. it. I love it. So I kept the name, and it was just one that kept on for this. Um, so Cher, my wife, has her training stables. It's Campana Training Stables. We have Campana Ranch Winery. I do blacksmithing also, and I have a Campana Blacksmithery. So the label came by. Uh, we had a friend that was staying with us for a couple months, and he was a graphic artist out of San Luis Obispo. And in, uh, for his thank you, he went out in the vineyard one day and drew us the logo, which is, if you see it, I don't have... I have my I have a wine bottle right here. There you go. Yeah, there it is. The 17 Cabernet Franc. Wonderful wine. But uh, it is a basically 
a horseshoe, a fairly large horseshoe being held up by a grapevine. But if you look at it closely, the horseshoe depicts my wife's passion for horses. The grapevine is my passion. But if you look really close, you have a horseshoe, which is on top with a grapevine. And then you have, looking at the base, it looks like a wine glass. So you have her passion, my passion, and then both of ours is a wine glass. Both of my wife's and myself love of wines. So that's where that came from. And that was a thank you from uh, a good friend of ours. Well, that is a really special story. So you've mentioned Cher a couple of times. Tell me how you all met and you're an identical twin or you're a twin, identical twin? Fraternal. Both my wife Fraternal. and myself are fraternal okay. twins. Okay. And so, um, so you're both twins. That's so interesting. I'm an identical twin. So I love every story about yes. twins. There was a connection there with um, Cher and your twins. So um, talk a little bit about that. Well, I have a twin brother. He's very, very different to me. We are, if you're ever you know, familiar with the odd couple, we are the odd couple. He, I am Oscar. He is Felix. And uh, my, <laughs> I, was, I was outside. He was very, very much an indoor person. But Cher and he, my, my, my twin brothers, unfortunately, passed on. Okay. Cher and my twin brother were very, very good friends. They lived up in a little town close by here called Occidental. And um, they were very, very close friends. And as my brother became sicker, Cher took on a lot of the um, nursing of my brother. And as a funny story, uh, before he got sick, I used to bring down, we visit, have family reunions. And I would always bring a case of my homemade wine, which is always, you know, very, very good. And so um, when my brother came down and visited, I always gave him a case and he would go home and Cher would always be there going, did you see your brother? She hadn't even met me then. And did he bring the wines? And she goes, yes. Off they went. So she knew my wines before she knew me. So, <laughs> your wines preceded you. <laughs> right. So I always, I always tell her that you married my wines, not me. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> But anyway, when my brother was getting very, very ill, we worked together. You know, we became connected. I was a single person, so was she at the time. And uh, so before he died, we became a couple. And uh, my brother was very, very happy for that, you know, that we were together because he felt we were good for each other. And so that's where we started about 25 years ago. Well, that's a great connection and a great uh, story about how you all met and then um your winery and, and farm um is such a special place talk a little bit about that uh it, it's it's an amazing property you know it's about six acres i have my little vineyard of Noir out front it gives me about five tons of grapes but Cher has her passion it's a blessing we basically step out the front door and we're at work and that's also a curse in a sense because you go outside and the first thing you see is work. All day, all night? Pretty, pretty much. We've gotten a lot better. It used to be day right, you know, we'd come in when the sun went down, you know, back in the day. But we were pretty good about getting in by six o'clock at night now. But yes, you know, we have a winery, which is, you know, right toward the backs. It's right surrounded by vineyards, um, outdoor seating, uh, except when it gets super hot or super cold, we go inside the cellar. Uh, but it's just an ideal setup. I mean, you know, we're here uh, with this pandemic, you know, pretty much isolated here. And, you know, I'm not bored one bit. You Wine have plenty to do, winemaking and horses. 
winemaking, horses, tending the vineyard. Uh, yeah, and it's it's always interesting. And it's, you know, Sarah's is actually very, very saying, geez, I'm going to be really missing this when, it, when everything gets back to normal. It's a beautiful place. We're out here in the country. We're surrounded. You know, I might, we have one neighbor right next door. People come by and say, geez, you know, you have it all. You know, you just sit back and watch the grapes grow. I go, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> There's a lot more going on than that. So what's a typical day like for you or for uh, you and Cher there? Uh, depending on who's, what day it is, but generally for the next three, four days, first thing I do is get up in the morning and go out and start cleaning up the pens for Cher while she goes out and she feeds the horses. We have 10 horses on the property right now. And after that, uh, we'll go inside. And now we're doing, because we can't go to the gym anymore, we're doing an online uh, exercise class, mm -hmm. trying to keep ourselves flexible. You know, I'm going to be 68 this next month, so I got to keep my bones moving. You look and, like a uh, young. You look like a young man. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> Depends on the day. I feel I feel pretty good. Let's see. After that, uh, I'll go out to the winery and check some things. Or got the garden going right now. The vineyard right now is taking a lot of work in the sense it's growing so rapidly. It's doing its big growth phase right now. The vines are growing at least an inch a day. You got to make sure the shoots are all positioned straight up, you know, so they're not flopping over, you know, covering the clusters, making, seeing how everything is, checking for diseases, um, just, just going out and monitoring. So that goes on and then going out and doing maintenance on all the equipment. Just keeping everything going. And that's my end. I'm pretty much the fix-it guy. And Cher is the, uh, she's a businesswoman. She's the one that takes care of and keeps me in line, kicks my butt when I need it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're is she hard to Is she hard to work for? <laughs> <laughs> is she strict? She's, she, she knows what she likes and she knows how to, she knows how she wants it done. Let me put it that way. And so we pretty much follow her advice for the most part until we have a good argument against it or something. But pretty much she's right on. She's very, very good. I like I like women leaders, so go share. Um, I love how hands-on you are. And when we were doing our tasting, I mean, you were with us the whole time. I think we probably spent two and a half or three hours there. I think you let us taste every wine you had. It was an incredible experience. Um, but talk a little bit about, you know, your approach there and, and how hands-on you are and um, how that makes a difference. When I started this winery, I wanted to make it similar to what it was like. I felt what it was like when I first started. You know, wineries were very, very accommodating. They didn't get a lot of the tourists it got now. It wasn't like a, you know, one down the line and they'll pour you a drink. And it was, you sat down and toward the end of the day, if you were lucky enough, that's when either the winemaker came in and sat in the tasting room or the owner would come and sit down. And whoever was there became their friends. And they, you know, would do the same thing. They would talk, and, you know. It wasn't like just, you know, come in and have some, let me pour you some, let me go like this and pour wines. Here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one. Okay, you know, they'll tell you anything about it. And that was the beauty of, of working with wine people back then is that, there were no secrets. If you had a question, you asked it, and they would tell you the answer. There was nobody held their hands so close that they didn't want to talk about what they were doing. You know, and that's what I like. I mean, if somebody wants to know what I'm doing, I'll tell them. There's no secrets for me. And, and therefore, 
I love doing the educational part. I love talking about it. And to me, that's the part that's engaging for people, for me especially, to be able to engage with people. And hopefully, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to have done this for 42 years. And I still have a great passion for it. I love your passion for it. Well, thank you. But if I can rub some of that passion off and get rid of the pretentiousness and let people know, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has a different profile of what they like and don't like. And, and get them to be very comfortable with tasting wines, and, you know, and whether they like it or not. And then, you know, tell them some basics of understanding where they taste in their mouth, how it can change day to day. You know, just all the varying things that are pretty basic, but people don't think about because I think a lot of times, especially in Napa County now, it's, 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 there's so much, there's pretentiousness. I've, you know, gone to varying wineries in, in Napa County, and, you know, just to go out and try and do it and, you know, said I'm a winery person. And, you know, there sometimes depends on the person, not every place. There are a lot of great wineries over there. And, you know, I tend to try and find the smaller ones where I can, you know, find people that are of smaller um, case size and, you know, don't have the, didn't buy their way in, which is a lot of people have. They come in and they have this huge amount of money and they just want to buy their wine. And, you know, I have much more respect for people who have really worked hard and, and put it together with the sweat of their, sweat of their brow. Well, it, so, it absolutely shows. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm enjoying it. You know, we're, um, you know, we're going through some difficult times right now, but, you know, we're doing well enough. And the thing is, is to get people involved and invested. You know, we might have a, you know, pretty right. I have a fairly good wine club that, and the deal is I want to make people feel like they're part of what I am. It's not just coming up and getting wines and you want to come by. Bring your friends, you know, I don't care how many it is, I'll go get and take things for free, you know, because you're a wine club and you're a valued person to me. And, uh, you know, plus it's fun. I've been doing the uh, virtual wine tastings when we've had this, you know, lockdown. And uh, it's been a lot of fun because, you know, I'm not getting out a lot, for, you know, to, to see people. I'm kind of a social guy. And so it's a lot of fun for me to do a, a Zoom with people who have bought the wines and we put together a cheese plate and like us, cheese plate. like us, exactly. We love we, experiencing that virtual wine tasting with you. Um, I thought was really great. And again, I mean, you were doing it yourself, and it was so personal. Well, that's the fun part for me because then I, you know, it, it, not only doing just the, the, the virtual wine tasting, but I get to socialize. I get to sit there and say, "Hi, how are we doing?" <laughs> I had a, a, a group that would say one person from New Zealand, so we had to time it so that it was, let's say, 9 o'clock at night here, and it's 12 o'clock in New Zealand at the time. Yeah, it was a lot of, you know, and, and then you get people that have uh, started imbibing a little bit too early, and so it becomes rather it's raucous, but it's a lot of somewhere. fun. <laughs> it is, five o'clock somewhere. Well, uh, talk a little bit about about the wines and kind of what makes yours special that are the different um, varieties. Uh, do you call it varieties? Uh, much as I drink yeah. wine, I should know. <laughs> but um, 
we just love your wines and we've gotten uh, quite a number, you know, we joined the wine club and um, we've gotten a couple of orders and um, then with virtual wine tasting. And so my favorite is the Cab Franc. Talk a little bit about the wines, your favorites, and maybe a couple of stories about those, because I loved it when we were there in person doing the wine tasting. I mean, not only is your knowledge so deep, in it, but you had some stories around some of them, the names and stuff like that. And I thought that was, um, that was really cool. Uh, I'm, a, I'm 750 cases. So most of my wines are maybe two, three barrels. One barrel being 59 gallons, 24 and a half cases, 290 bottles. So uh, my production is very small, but every one of those wines are handcrafted. I, I make way too many wines than a small winery should. It's thinking I should have. I'm, you know, here I am in the Russian River Valley. Russian River Valley in Sonoma County is known for Pinot Noirs, Chardonnays, and maybe some Sauvignon Blancs. I've been making a lot of Bordeaux for years. So I figured that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to limit it to just Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and maybe a Sauvignon Blanc, because if a person comes here and they've been tasting wines all day and they've tasted tasting Pinot, they might want something different. Besides, I like other wines. So I, I make all five of the Bordeaux, which is Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Malbec, and Petit Verdot. Petit Verdot being the lesser known. Uh, you ask which is my favorite. Uh, I've asked, been asked that so many times, and I, I look at them and I say, do you have children? <laughs> Neither one and of them is their favorite. Them <laughs> you love them? Well, you love them all? Well, you say, you know, which one is your favorite? You know, do you have a favorite? And they go, oh, no, we don't. And I said, well, yes, you do. You have whichever. Your favorite is the which one is behaving. And for me, for my wines, it's the bottle in front of me. <laughs> that is my favorite for the moment. Because I make Syrahs, Petite Syrahs, two different Chardonnays, a Cuvée, which is a blend, a Bordeaux blend. I love, I love that um, one. Yeah, the Cuvées are delicious. They're all five of the Bordeaux, some of them, some of a few less, depending on the vintage. And then I make two ports, a white port, which is a late harvest Chardonnay, and then a red port, which is Primitivo and Petite Syrah, and they're both delicious. Well, you have a good variety. You have, um, is it unfiltered uh, Chardonnay? Is that how you describe yeah. it? It's fantastic. All of my wines are unfiltered. I'm trying to be as, a nat as much a natural winemaker as possible. That's a new term that's coming around. It's kind of a new, uh, basically what it means is I, you know, when I go out, I've been a grape grower for so long, I know where to get the grapes and I get the best grapes possible. And that's where everything starts. You can't make great wines without having great, great grapes. Uh, yeah, you can't make a great wine. You can do a lot of manipulation. So I'm trying to do as little manipulation as possible, starting off with the best grapes. My philosophy is I don't filter any of my wines. I let them naturally settle out. And I do what's called racking, where you take the, the clear juice off the top after about three months, four months, and put it into another barrel. That way you leave the sediment behind, and you do that two, possibly three times in the course of 18 months, which is how long I aged. You know, except for a little bit in the Chardonnay, I had a little bit in my Mouille in the Chardonnay, I had a little bit of extra haze in there that I uh, couldn't go away, but it just, it doesn't affect flavors at all. You know, it's not as clear as it. And everything else I make is absolutely stellar. You couldn't tell it's not filtered. 
My feeling in filtering is that every time you push it through a filter, you're losing flavors. You're filtering out some of the flavors. That's why I don't filter. I've done that before. I filtered and I've had side by side before and after. And I said, it's, doesn't, it's missing something. It's, it's not there. That's my philosophy on that. And I, my, my reason for making so many wines is uh, I have an opportunity sometimes to get some great grapes and I can't stop myself. I'm just addicted to buying grapes. Well, there's so many things that go into making um, the wine and um, I guess impacting the, and impacting the, the flavor and talk a little bit about that. And, you know, what are some of the things that make it good and what are some of the things that are, you know, work against it? Well, let's start in the vineyard. A wide variance of uh, soils. That's the first thing. And, and where your location. You know, we're in the Russian River Valley. The reason we can grow Pinot Noirs here because in the afternoons we'll get a lot of ocean influence. Right now we're about 20 miles from the ocean from Bodega Bay. In the summertime, starting pretty quick, we're going to start getting fog in the morning and it's going to come floating in. Uh, versus if you get further away toward Healdsburg or Cloverdale, uh, it doesn't get the fog. And so it's a warmer climate. So if I try to grow Pinot Noir up there, um, it's too warm. It'll get up to 85, 90, 95, 100 degrees, and it'll start lessening the characteristics of Pinot Noir. So you grow it, you grow it in a cooler area. Some of the better growing regions, although next to the ocean, you know, you've got Napa Valley, which has Sassoon Bay below it, Conaros, yeah, Anderson Valley, um, which is right there in Mendocino, it's right there, Santa Barbara, Paso uh, Robles, San Luis Obispo, San Diego. Those are all cooler areas because you get the ocean influence. You can get into the foothills and you'll have the cool air going off, and that influences the grapes. Uh, some of your warmer varietals would be Cabernet Sauvignon, so you can grow those in warmer areas. But it's the cooling at night that really, really makes the difference, as long as it can cool at night. You know, we have a lot of grapes grown in the Central Valley. In fact, four-fifths of the grapes grown in California are all grown in the Central Valley, where it gets up to 105, 110 during the day and 95 at night. doesn't give it that, that temperature cooling at night versus the better-known areas that we are in. You know, we get the cooling at night. You know, we get warm during the day, but nighttime it gets to about 55, 60 degrees, which is perfect for growing grape. And plus... You know, in California here, especially where we are, our last rains, generally it stops right around the last part of, of April. And then we won't see any more rain until middle of October. So you don't have, you know, versus if you're on the East Coast, the grapes need to have that drying out period too. So the soil is always moist. It's going to continue to grow. Our soils dry out. We have drip irrigation which we monitor to allow the vines to continue with their strength, have enough, enough water to mature the grapes and get the right flavors. But we monitor that very, very closely. When you pick your grapes, you know, as uh, harvest starts here, probably normal year, probably the 1st of September for Pinot Noirs, which is one of the earlier varietals. And then you move into all the way through October for all the later varieties, depending again where you uh, grow your grapes. The deeper the soil, the more vigor the vine, the later the grapes are going to come. The hilltop vineyards are probably the first to uh, ripen because they have a, a less of the soil. And then it depends on the exposure, whether it's south, north, east, or west. 
Um, it's incredible all of the things that impact it. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, when you harvest, what's your style of wine that you want to make? Do you want to make a bright flavored wine? Do you want a lot of acidity? As the grapes mature, the acidity starts dropping out as the, as the sugars rise. So, you know, champagnes are always the first to come off. They're, they're, they're picked at about 19 degrees bricks, which are bricks is basically the percentage of sugar. And uh, 18, 17, 19 degrees. Um, so it really has a lot more acid because the sugars are low. But then as the sugars go up, the acid starts dropping out. So natural or still wines generally we pick between anywhere from 23 degrees bricks all the way up to about 25, 26 degrees bricks. And as you get higher and higher in sugar content, the acidity starts dropping off. And that you know, depends on the year also. You know, if you have a real hot, dry summer, then your grapes are going to mature faster and sugars are going to come up, but you're not going to lose as much acidity. So, but if it's a cold summer, then the sugars are going to go up very, very, very slowly because they need the heat to come up. And the acidity balance there is not going to be quite in line with what you want to make. And then, you know, if you want a, a big, bold wine, you're going to probably want to leave the grapes on the vine a little longer to get more sugars, a little bit more flavors. Versus if you want something fresh and clean and, and very bright, you know, very much of fruit forward type wine, you're going to pick it earlier. Depends on your winemaking. I'm so impressed with the way you can break down the flavors and be able to um, describe it. It's, um, I don't know how you do that, but it's incredible. A lot of tasting. Yeah. It's, it's something you learn. And some people are better than others. I, uh, I know enough about it to be able to, to be able to come up with a a pretty good descriptor and I always rely on other friends too when we're doing my wines and we're trying to come up with blends and stuff I'll invite um, a couple people who are enologists and they'll invite chefs chefs have incredible, incredible they have an incredible vocabulary and an incredible ability to describe what they smell in things that I would not put together and it's always fun to listen to them that's a lot of fun and especially you know, when we're getting to blending, to make a new cuvee, you're trying to say, okay, how much are we going to put in at the Cabernet Franc and how much are the Malbec and how much are we going to make to make this new, new blend? I love uh, red blends. It, I don't know why, but um, mm -hmm. they're always some of my favorite. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, one of my most fun things that I like to do, I make all five of the Bordeaux. And I, you know, you make a, a Bordeaux blend, which we can't call it a Bordeaux. Each one tastes so different. I love getting out all five bottles. Like I'm going to do this with a tasting. You know, some people will ask it. I say, okay, we're going to make, you're going to make your own blend. So I have my little pipette, and we go into each bottle, and we take out how much, okay, here's this Cabernet. How much Cabernet do you want? We're going to make up maybe you know, 100 milliliters. So you want maybe 25, 30% Cabernet Sauvignon. Take it out, put it in a glass. Well, how much Cabernet Franc do you want? Oh, 20%. Then we go along and we make it. We make each other's blend and we try it out. And so you get an idea also what each each wine tastes different. A Cabernet tends to be a lot more uh, deep berry, dark berry, uh, blackberry, uh, some plum, depending on the uh, uh, when it was harvested. 
some nice deep back throats. We, you know, a little bit of uh, cannon, some Cabernet Franc tends to be a lot more uh, fruit forward, a little bit less, doesn't have as much tannin, but that has some spice, baking spices. Malbec tends to have a big uh, smoky flavor on the back mouth. Sometimes uh, blueberry, Cabernet uh, Petit Verdot is very fruit forward, very juicy, very savory mouth flavor. Merlot, again, has some nice acidity to it. So you can, you can play with those and say, okay, I want some acidity. I'm lacking acidity. Let's get some Merlot in there. Okay, God, let's get some back mouth in there. Try a little bit more Malbec. How fun is that? It is fun. It is fun. Steve, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to um, share with our listeners? Um, I think there's tending to be a trend to go back to smaller wineries, the bigger wineries. You know, people want to see a lot more of the smaller wineries now, and I think that's a great thing because I think those are really the the heart and soul, in my opinion, in its individual, and you get the winemakers, which I think is so important to be able to really what what why they're there, what they're doing, what their what their story is. You know, our story is is what you've heard. It's you know my passion. I'll be doing it for many many years to come. How to get in contact with me? My name is Steve Bell, and uh, I'm at Pana Ranch Winery. Uh, you can email me at Steve at CamponaRanchWines.com uh, or phone me. My cell phone is in my back pocket all the time. Area code 707-337-0844. I'll pick it up. And I will include all of that in the show notes as well. Steve, it has been such a pleasure, uh, first of all, just meeting you, experiencing the, the winery, um, but also just uh, meeting you and share and Thank you for being on Stories Connect People podcast and sharing your um, journey, your a little bit about your life and your passion. My pleasure. It's really nice to have you on. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much for having me. What a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.